Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Medical Grand Rounds today, and what a delight to have one of our own talking about melanoma. Kaisuki is here, and he's going to be introduced to us by Chris Lowry. Chris, why don't you come up here and tell us about Kaisuki. Chris is a professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine. He is the director of hematology within the Norscott Cancer Center, and he is our vice chair, one of our vice chairs for uh, clinical affairs in the Department of Medicine, among so many other things. Uh, superb clinician educator, bon vivant, man around town. Chris, tell us about Kaisuki. Great. Thank you, Rich. So it's a real pleasure to um, welcome Kaisuki Shirai um, to give grand rounds today. And we're pretty lucky here. Rich gives us the opportunity as section leaders to um, invite people for grand rounds. And in hematology oncology, we decided um, that it'd be really nice to have Dr. Shirai come give grand rounds because he's a new member of our faculty who just joined us in uh, September of this year. And uh, he's doing uh, really cutting-edge research, and I think you'll enjoy hearing about that. And uh, I remember when I first came here, Hal Sox was the chair of medicine, and he invited me to do grand rounds. And it was really my introduction to the greater faculty of medicine. And all of a sudden, people started coming up to me and introducing themselves and talking to me. And um, that's another reason we wanted to invite Dr. Shirai so you could all get to know him. And uh, his research and his area is really cutting edge in cancer. I'd say that if you graduated from medical school or your training more than a year ago, you're already way behind in what's happening in cancer. There are so many new things, and it's really exemplified by what you're going to hear from Dr. Shirai today with the new drugs and uh, the new immunotherapy. So um, just to uh, introduce him to you, Dr. Shirai got his MD degree from Kyoto University in Japan. He then um, performed his internship at the United States Naval Hospi Hospital in Yokosaka. <clears throat> he was then a resident in internal medicine in uh, Fukuoka, Japan. Hope I'm not butchering these too much. Uh, then he did a residency in radiation oncology at Hokkaido Cancer Center at the National Sapporo Hospital in Hokkaido, Japan. He then came to the United States where he did his internal medicine residency at the University of Pittsburgh and then a fellowship in hematology oncology at the Medical University of South Carolina. Um, while he was there, he also got his Master of Science degree in clinical research and stayed on as an assistant professor there. And uh, in 2013, was promoted to associate professor in the Division of Hematology Oncology. And he was also the program director of their fellowship there. And we are very lucky last September to recruit uh, Dr. Shirai to Dartmouth. He's uh, board certified in internal medicine, medical oncology, and hospice and palliative care. He has over 30 peer-reviewed publications, and he's given uh, international talks and talks at the, the biggest hematology oncology meetings. And uh, he's also the director of our melanoma program. So please give me, uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Shirai to Grand Rounds. Thank you very much. So I'm here from September 
last year. It's been four months, and still I believe my decision was right. So, all right, I'm going to talk about melanoma treatment. Since, uh, since 2011, we have seen dramatic change in melanoma treatment. So I love history. Uh, this is conflict of interest. It is all clinical trials run to institutions, so, but looks like I need to list everything. So cancer therapy, um, history-wise, always surgery, radiotherapy, and chemotherapy-wise, dacobazine was a drug we used for melanoma treatment. But this drug, until 2011, I mean, still part of standard treatment, but that, this drug is from two, uh, 1975. It's uh, 40 years ago. And then 92, immunotherapy, hydrocyl 2 approved by FDA, with small amount, but good, complete response. So I do have patients uh, who did have hydrocyl 2 live 10 years, 20 years, even with stage 4 disease. So this could, clearly, this could do something, although this is really intensive treatment. You need to put patient in ICU for five days, every eight hours infusion for a total of 15 doses. Most of the time, patient can get only eight or 10 doses because of mental status change, capillary leak syndrome. It's not the easy treatment, although we, in young people, uh, especially lung mets only or the lymph node mets, I have seen dramatic improvement, um, success. And targeted therapy, this is not for melanoma, but I just want to quote that as part of uh, reference. 2001, uh, imatinib, Gleevec, was approved for CML, and then clearly this medicine does change cancer treatment dramatically. CML, before this drug, five-year survival was like 60%, but with this drug, now five-year survival is like almost 95%, so it's a dramatic change. So we can see this type of change, although CML is a little different than traditional or solid tumor other cancer. As oncologists, we do call CML a stupid cancer because they don't come up with acquired resistance, which we face in other cancers such as lung cancer or melanoma. So the melanoma treatment in 2011, after um, HIDOS-IL-2 in 92, uh, ipilimumab, this is anti-CTLF-1 antibody, bimorafenib, this is BRAF inhibitor, uh, pigloted in ferro approved by FDA. In 2013, dabrafenib, another BRAF inhibitor, trimatinib, MEK inhibitor got approved. And 2014, pembrolizumab, this is a Jimmy Carter drug, and nivolumab, these are anti-PD-1 antibody just approved by FDA at the end of 2014. And then 2015, Nibolumab plus a combination just got approved by FDA, I think it's November or October of last year. And then another MEK inhibitor, Calvimetinib, got approved by FDA also around the same time. I forget to mention about the TBEC. Another vaccine was also approved by FDA in 2015. So nine drugs got approved by FDA specific for melanoma since 2011. So it's a dramatic change. So this is a medicine ground round. So we are in 2016. Do you know what year 2016 is? Do you know who he is? Do you know what it is? So this is a modern ancient part of stethoscope. He invented in 1816. So it's a 200 years from the invention of stethoscope. 
And nothing to do with melanoma? <laughs> Actually, yes. So I found these articles. Um, so he invented a um, stethoscope at age 35. Unfortunately, he passed away at age 45, 10 years after his invention. But he did more than that. So melanoma, he's the first one to describe in lung metastasis. In Mel Mela is black in Greek. But how great he was, he is, is he did it when he was a medical student. So, um, so I'm going to go back to melanoma talk. So melanoma, uh, depth is important, and also ulceration, because ulceration does actually make prognosis worse. We don't know yet why, but T1A means less than one millimeter melanoma without ulceration. Uh, when it becomes ulcerated, we call it T1B. And T1B behave like T2A. And T2B behave like T3A. And T3B behave like T4A. So ulceration doesn't matter. We don't, lots of speculation, such as you know, lack of CCN3 or loss of E-caterhenia, which means it could potentially you know, metastasize. And there's lots of speculation, but we don't know. This is the only uh, survival curve I will show you today. So you could see, this is based on version 6, so it's old um, staging criteria before these new drugs. So we might see significant improvement, but you can tell stage 4 disease is still dismal. Usually we call uh, before these new drugs, one year survival is around 40%, and then uh, five year survival is less than 5%. And before 2011, again, the Colbazine since 1975, temozolomide, oral version of uh, the Colbazine, hydrocyl 2 biochemotherapy, cellular therapy, um, adoptive therapy, and TIL. This is tumor infiltrating lymphocyte infusion. This is, you know, still, I think, I do believe for some people it does offer a uh, great benefit. I spent one week in NIA. MCI with Dr. Rosenberg, and it's really primitive but impressive. So over there, surgery branch get tissue first. So pathology, surgeon, surgeon get the tissue first. And then what they do is that piece of specimen give it to pathology people to make diagnosis. But bulk of tumor, they chop it literally under the hood to prepare for lymphocyte. And they, they harvest lymphocyte with, um, of course, prevent from infection and other stuff. But it takes six to seven weeks to expand lymphocyte, assuming those lymphocyte in tumor has activity against melanoma. And then after six to seven weeks, basically they reinfuse these lymphocytes. Although to make a room, they give lots of chemotherapy or radiation to give space. Like it's exactly the same regimen for bone transplant. So they do give room for lymphocyte and then infuse back. And by combining with total body radiation, now they are claiming if patient met the criteria, response rate or uh, it could be around 50%. So it's, it's clearly significant. And then people are saying, I mean, oh, this is only NCI, this is only under Dr. Rosenberg. But recently, this has been duplicated in Fred Hutchinson, MD Anderson, and also hospital in Israel. So of course, it's intensive, expensive, but could be done. 
And this is a first plenary session in ASCO. ASCO is American Society of Clinical Oncology. For the history of like, like 30 or 40 years of history, this is the first time melanoma topic get into plenary session. We are so excited because this um, ipilimumab anti-CTLA-4 antibody has shown first-time survival benefit in metastatic melanoma treatment. And this CTLA-4 is on T-cell, and basically if we if interact with um, antigen presenting cell with uh, CTLA-4 and then uh, CD80, T-cell die. So this is an escape mechanism um, caused by innate um, system. But by blocking CTLA-4, you could maintain T-cell activity and then continue to let them attack melanoma. Is it a great drug? Um, you know, three milligrams per kilo over 90 minutes, every three weeks, no premedication, four doses. And then usually you don't see any you know, reaction or uh, nausea vomiting or hair loss or typical chemotherapy side effect. Although still you could see it did improve, but six months became 10 months. Response rate is still 10%. And one year survival is 46%, but this was significant enough because with the colbazine it was only 25 to 30%. So it did bump up to uh, 25 to 40%, simple. And this is the experiences. So this patient came to us with um, pain, chest pain, and shortness of breath. She did have high-dose IL-2. She has uh, temozolomide treatment. She did have also radiation treatment. Not only for that, she had some brain meds. And then she came to us for clinical trials as a final um, option. But after three doses, you know, no side effect whatsoever, but she had a dramatic response. You could see, interesting thing is still left diaphragm, small activity there. So we, I think we found some balance. Um, three years later, oh, this is before and after. So you could see dramatic improvement with minimum side effect. I will go over about side effect later. So this is, a, so what's wrong with this? This is three years after uh, four dose of ipilimumab. She's not been on any treatment. She looks great. She came with... Uh, just regular scan. So we found uh, adrenal mass. So in New England Journal paper of uh, 2010, it did show a small percentage of people received second challenge of ipilimumab. And then among them, they reported response rate could be like 70%. So you could reactivate the immune system again by repeating ipilimumab. In her case, we did it, and she had a great response, and then um, she's disease-free now. And then it's five years since I saw her first time. This is another lady in her 30s, came with big neck mass, and surgeon wants to resect everything, right? And there's nothing unresectable for surgeon. So they took it, and then unfortunately in two months, she developed another one on her same area. And then they took it again. And of course, she's young, and that's the only area of disease. I do agree with that. But unfortunately, next time, in 30 days, she developed another contralateral lymph node. And not only for that, she came with this huge adrenal mass. And in that time, uh, we decided to put her on clinical trials with a because that was the only available trial. But 
So this is, I mean, when I saw her first time, her kids was like two years old, and now when I left um, MUSC, it was 80 years old. So it's a significant improvement, and then it's, it's ne I never seen before this drug. What would be the issue? Tough part is the cost. One infusion costs $20,000 to $30,000. So $20,000, $30,000 times four is $80,000 to $120,000. And then with 10% response rate, which means you might need to treat 10 people. So 80K, 120K times 10 is a cost you might save one people. So, but. Who cares, right? Because this is a lady who came with you know, brain meds, um, significant right side weakness, lots of chest pain, shortness of breath, and then she received four doses of ipilimumab, and then she's still disease free. And she does work full time, performance status is zero. So that's what amazing is. What's her side effect? There is no medicine without side effect, unfortunately. And it's not ISIS, it's ITIS. <laughs> So it does, um, so sometimes not only attacking melanoma, activated T cell could attack normal organs. So dermatitis is the most common one, so rash, itchiness, 30%. It does tend to happen relatively earlier, so after one or two doses, you see this. Um, diarrhea, enterocolitis, this is a significant, really important one. Although more than grade three is only 7%, but in clinical trials, always reported several cases of perforation, or death from this. So it's really important, especially diarrhea, as an oncologist, we tend to say, take, you know, emodium every two hours until stop. It doesn't work. You need to catch really early, and then we need to use steroids. So the patient education, uh, nursing staff education, the key to prevent from perforation. Thyroiditis, it could be hypo or hyper, but reported in one to three percent. Hypophysitis is also something you need to look for it because patient come come was um, fatigue or headache or like sometimes low blood pressure, uh, like a septic type symptom. And then if you do blood work, you see low sodium hyperkalemia. So typical secondary adrenal insufficiency. We, I never seen that as a medical student until we start to use this medication. And this is real. So hepatitis has been also reported. This is like odimine hepatitis you need to use with um, steroid. For diarrhea, once in a while I have used three cases with uh, infliximab when we couldn't, couldn't get them under control. And pneumonitis is also the one, and when it happens, it's really difficult to predict. This is a case um, I saw in, at Dartmouth. So pembrolizumab was started in September, uh, sorry, July 2014. She was given cycle number four in September 2015. Worsening shortness. Breast. And then originally, <clears throat> she did have a little bit of change in left lung. And then continued to get worse, and then we admitted her. At that time, her saturation O2 was around 86%. We started with um, high-dose steroid immediately. Clinically, she did show dramatic improvement, but when it comes to picture, actually it looked get worse. So we worry about is it working or not, but we sit tight and continue um, steroid. And finally, um, after 10 weeks of steroid treatment, we were able to taper off. And then right now, she does not have any obvious melanoma in her scan. 
So she was diagnosed with stage 4 disease in 2012, receiving BRF inhibitor and then this um, anti-PD-1 antibody. This is the case of uh, uh, hypopituitary uh, hypophysiitis. You could see uh, pituitary is more enhanced, and then pituitary stoke is more prominent. Although this is not sensitive, only 50% of patients with uh, hypopituitarism can have this picture. Other rare side effects, you could name anything, encephalitis, Steven Johnson syndrome, dermatomyositis, ITP, TTP, although these are like a one or two out of 2,000, 3,000 cases, but it's been reported. Red cell aplasia, uh, NG, type 1 diabetes is also reported. Is EP for everybody? Unfortunately not. If you have this type of multiple disease with rapid tempo disease, this might not be the case because it tends to um, work slowly. The median time of response is around three months from starting treatment. So same thing, some patient, the tempo of disease may not allow to um, time to kick in this medication. <coughs> An interesting thing is it could have mixed response. Um, this is a patient I had, and you see there's a hypermetabolic lesion in his um, belly button, right axillary area, right hyaluronic area, and then pericardial lymph node. And after treatment, he looks great, and then everyone el everywhere else gone except right axillary lymph node. And this is the only area, so we decided to sit tight. And then three months after, he came back, and then this right axillary lymph node disappeared without doing anything, but new right hyaluronic lymph node pop up. So this was, this was the only area, so I do love radiation oncology people, so I let them to zap it. And then he's doing fine. Another um, medication, the miracle, plurinary session presented in ASCO in 2011 is this bimaracinib. This is targeting BRAF mutation, uh, B600E mutation. You see why they put VE, V600E mutation. That, that's why they put VEM. So this was the uh, plurinary session, that, like a two or 3,000 people in one room. How many screen you, you see? Lots of excitement. And then this is a MAP kinase pathway. If BRF is um, mutated, it is continued to give, give signal for cell proliferation, growth, survival. Um, by, and they do upregulate BEGF, NF-kappa-B, and CMAT, and others. So we know b 600 mutation is in common thyroid cancer, melanoma, lung adenocarcinoma. So do you know what disease has 100% of VRAF mutation? Chris? Just kidding, but uh, it's a... Um, <laughs> um, Hairy cell leukemia has 100% of VRAF mutation. And there's clinical trials. They do also respond to this. So it's interesting. The uh, frequency of this mutation is, depends on age. If you have young, uh, if you are young, um, 75 to 80 percent of the time you could have VRAF mutation. But as you get older, the frequency of mutation goes down. This is um, Australian epidemiological data. So this is a lady in her 30s came to me for clinical trials. She did have, you could see surgery, radiation, you could see the derm, you know, skin change, and then she did have epilimumab. Unfortunately, she progressed, but she was young and then found to have DRF mutation. 
And luckily, there was an expanded access trial in one week, in two weeks, and three weeks. So literally, you can see tumor melting with this drug. When she came to us, actually, her calcium was 18. And then if I collected with her albumin, like 20, she was so like a euphoretic, and then that and then also pain was an issue, but in three weeks, her main concern was more for smell from necrotic tissue, how to deal with this. So that's how different. And then this is before and after. Again, cost is the issue. The one-month supply of this medication can cost $10,000. So it's not a um, cheap drug. And then medium survival with this drug is around now, it's around, almost reached to two years. So you can imagine, you know, even $10,000 times 20 is 200K. Four pills twice a day. Is it miracle drug? Unfortunately, melanoma is not as stupid as CML. Um, this median progression for survival is nine to 10 months. On average, they do come up with acquired resistance. And in her case, it was unfortunate. She started to develop you know, this ugly or looking tumor in three months. So this could happen. And how to overcome resistance, we don't know yet. In lung cancer, uh, recently, the end of last year, they approved new EGFR, uh, like a third generation EGFR inhibitor targeting T790N acquired resistance, but we are not there yet for melanoma. Because we see more diverse differences of mechanism, like at least 20 of them are now uh, reported compared to T79M in lung cancer is like, it does dominate 60% of resistance. And toxicity, rash, diarrhea. Unique thing is cutaneous squamous carcinoma. By blocking BRAF, actually activated ARC pathway and then cause normal skin cells to become cutaneous squamous cell. So this is a patient you could tell I'm from South Carolina. So this does grow rapidly. So it's a totally different than typical squamous cell. In two weeks, this developed from small dot to this size, and then turned out to be um, squamous cell carcinoma. I mean, our dermatology friend says, you know, send me to, you know, send, send patient to us, and we can resect it. It's a piece of cake, right? And what about acral or mucosal melanoma? Its frequency of BRAF mutation is low, but it could still happen. 15 to 25% of them has BRAF mutation, so we should check BRAF mutation, even not cutaneous melanoma. So this is a patient uh, before and after. She had dramatic response. Uh, this is um, African-American lady. Everybody thought this was just an infection. Nobody has um, paid, um, paid attention for melanoma, but finally when she came with um, this condition, you know, biopsy shows melanoma. She was on stretcher, on oxygen, lots of pain, but in, she likely had a BRAF mutation and in three weeks, she started to do gardening and everything. Although in her case, six months, still less than nine months, what median shows, her disease progressed and then she passed away. So this is a side effect in you know, excoriation. You see this with uh, seraphinate for renal cell cancer or others. 
MEC inhibitor was approved by FDA also in 2013. Um, the idea is actually combining with BRF and MEC inhibitor, usually two drugs does do better than one drug. That's what we know. But what interesting thing is not only improve progression-free survival and response, they do decrease incidence of squamosal carcinoma. So this is a plus. Now, incidence of squamosal carcinoma is around 20% with BRF inhibitor only, goes down to around 7 to 8%. The issue is cost, you know, $10,000 plus $10,000, so now $20,000 with a little bit of survival benefit. But, you know, that's the current um, standard. So the, for medicine person, if you see this in young person, and then if you know this is melanoma, please call pathology to ask them to run BRF mutation test, because this is a limiting step. It could take, you know, one to two weeks, sometimes two to three weeks, depends on when they run test. So it's really important to call them, to rush them to do it. And then tough part is, one, even if we know BRF mutation, to get medication, it could take two to three weeks because we need to do prior authorization, medicine need to come from specialty pharmacy. So even we know this is what they have, it could still take two to three weeks. And then you could see LDH goes up from 500, 1,000, 1,500 in short period. So she's on uh, now the brafinib, uh, trimatinib combination, great response. I don't feel anything here. She does a little bit still pigmented lesion, but she's here doing well. So immune checkpoint inhibitor. So there is an interaction between CTLA4 and then B7, and also PD1 and PDL1. Basically, if they interact, it causes T cell energy. Um, the CTLA4 is more involved priming phase, and then PD1, PDL1 axis is involving more in effector phase. So there is a little difference, but idea is same. By blocking this CTLA4 or PD1, you could reactivate your T cell activity and then let them attack melanoma or let them attack other cancer. So program cell guess one. So PD1 knockout mouse was reported from Kyoto University in 1998. So I graduated in 1997, so nothing to do with me. But PD1 antibody was also actually uh, found or patented in Kyoto University. My classmate's husband has patent, so it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> so it does prevent from, uh, so they, what they found was this PD1 knockout mouse has feature of SLE because of overactivated immune system. And then they found this is related to T cell. And then by blocking them, you could prevent from T cell exhaustion. So there are more uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor. There are several uh, new drugs on clinical trials, uh, anti-LAG3, anti-TIM3, IDO inhibitor. There are m many immune checkpoint inhibitors are coming, although we don't know yet which one to use, how to combine. But lots of research is ongoing. Um, PD-1 antibody, um, not only melanoma or renal cell cancer, it's approved for uh, non-small cell lung cancer. It happened at the end of last year. Nibolumab, pembrolizumab, both got approved by FDA for non-small cell lung cancer. Also, we had a recent report. It works for Hodgkin disease, too. And then there was lots of um, other, we have seen some response in uh, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma patient. 
we're not throwing that medication for that. She, this patient had metastatic melanoma also. But, so response rate is 30 to 40 percent. So it's a little higher than ipilimumab compared to 10 to 20 percent. Seems to be less toxic, although it could cause interstitial pneumonitis, like the case I presented. And then looks like PDL1 expression does matter. Although even without PDL1 expression, still response rate could be you know five to ten percent. So it's less toxic and better than the carbazin, I would say. The issue is cost. One year supply of this medication costs 150k. It's a little bit cheaper than ipilimumab uh, one dose, but but again, that's a uh, difficult things. Um, pembrolizumab, two milligram per kilo every three weeks, 30 minutes infusion, approved by FDA in September 2014. Nibolumab, approved by FDA in uh, December of 2014. So, Jimmy Curry, so one, the other day, I mean, actually this past Monday, I had an undergraduate student shadowing me. And then at the, I saw 13 patient, at the end of the day, she said, Dr. Shirai, you mentioned about Jimmy Carter seven times. <laughs> so it's so easy to explain to them, but re really important part is I do emphasize, you know, might be too soon to say cure. So my most recent MRI didn't, didn't show any cancer. And then the tough part is, you know, broadcasting company do, do this. Right? It's only four months after treatment, and he's not only getting this medication, he had surgery, radiation, and then this, and it's only four months, right? So, I mean, of course, people say, it's why cancer is gone, disclosure doesn't help cancer patients, or what the media got wrong about Jimmy. So that's true. So we need to explain to patients this might not be true. Although, as I showed you, we have seen miracle. But it's, it might not be for everybody. Again, response rate is 30 to 40%, so it's better than ipilimumab. One year survival is 62%. Do you remember? One year survival with dacalbalizine was only 25%. With ipilimumab, they bump it up to 45%. Now with this anti-PD-1, they're talking about 62% in stage 4 melanoma. This is uh, the patient who we put him on um, clinical trials. And six weeks, you can see he's smiling. The lesion is less prominent. And he's the one who had um, actually hypophysiitis, this MRI I showed. So he did have some side effect, and he's on prednisone 5 milligram. But he, not only this, he has lung meds and bone meds, and both of them are under control. And then we started him on July of 2014. So it's, yeah, one and a half years. We don't know yet how long to continue. That's the issue with this medication also. So this is another patient who progressed on ipilimumab, unfortunately. So we put her on, and then we biopsied this, the scab, and there was no um, active cancer. She did have also uh, liver mats and bone mats, and she's technically um, disease-free two and a half years after starting this. Um, this is a um, retired surgeon who came to me with stage 4 melanoma. He doesn't want to do anything. He said, I'm a surgeon, I know melanoma. Send me to hospice. But, you know, we, I begged them to try um, ipilimumab because he was in good shape. He's still doing ski and then, um, like, 
uh, car racing and others. So he had this huge uh, mass. But after, um, and also he had a big neck mass, but in one week, this disappeared. So usually I do get scanned in three months, but in his case, we, we are so excited. And he didn't want to tell his wife because he wants to confirm his scan. So in six weeks, after two treatment, we did his scan. So you will see this dramatic change. So these things could happen with no side effect in his case. So side effect is not necessary, although it could happen and it could be significant. And then uh, this is the only pathology slide I put it. So they did biopsy before and after response, and you see CD8 cell is infiltrating to tumor. So this is really, um, it proved T cell got activated. So now we have two options, right? Low response, but potentially could be sustainable. And that high response, but doesn't last. So how to use it, we don't know yet. But so this is a trial from um, anti-PD-1 antibody. And you can see the red arrow means patient or on treatment. Yellow circle is when they had response. So if you respond, it could be sustainable. This is a, a bimorafinib trial. Green dot is when they saw they confirm response. So you can tell they could have response fairly high percentage, but the red dot means they progressed. So the tough part is the morafinib, you could have great response, but might not last. My melanoma might come up with resistant mechanism fairly quickly, sometimes even in three months, like my patient did. So this is where we are. We don't know how to sequence, how to combine. So now this combination, anti-CTLA-4 and anti-PD-1, got approved by FDA in November of last year. Um, based on um, New England Journal paper as in July 2015. So response rate is 60% with CR of 12%. So 20, 10 to 20% with EP, 40% with uh, anti-PD-1, combining 60%. And they have seen just change, and then response seems to be much quicker. You can see the, um, you know, response, and then really significant tumor reduction. And one-year survival is 82% in stage four melanoma. Again, this is um, so. This is a patient I had in South Carolina. Patient came with. Brain meds, diffused liver meds, splenic meds. She was a young lady in her 40s. She had T1A disease when she was 20. So, of course, nothing, you know, she did have right follow-up, but came with significant fatigue, and PCP found significantly elevated LFT. And they did ultrasound, and they found this. So at the time, LDH was more than 2,000, lots of abdominal pain. Again, she was young, she had a BRF mutation. So we put her on Dabrafinib and then Trematinib in January of 2014. Dramatic response, and then she was doing well 14 months from starting medication, but her LDH started to increase, and then we start to see new liver meds. We tried ipilimumab, she progressed. We tried uh, pembrolizumab with FDA approval, she progressed, and then, you know, we found this phase one data with ipilimumab and nivolumab. So she wanted, I wanted, although infusion nurse were 
not happy. They felt I'm crazy. And also the medicine department, medicine um, financial department says, Dr. Shirai, you cannot do this. Even she said she would pay no matter what result if it doesn't work. And then if she said, I'm not going to pay for it, it's going to be huge amount of money. You know, we're talking about like 300K. Um, but finally, BMS agreed to, you know, give medication, and we treated her in May of 2015. Dramatic response. Her LDH is now normalized, and then her disease is um, under control. The serial brain MRI didn't show anything new. Although, interesting thing is her spleen didn't shrink. She still continued to have early satiety and then pain. And then after waiting for six months to confirm her LDH and then her disease are stable, um, I life surgeon. And after a long discussion, we resected it. This is the beginning of December. I got a picture from my friend. But interesting thing is pathologists couldn't find any viable melanoma cell. So it's all dead. They have seen lots of melan uh, pigmentation, uh, pigment in there, but there's no active viable melanoma. Um, so she's doing great. So um, this is, of course, not standard or not typical case, but we have seen something different. And even patient progressed with anti-CTLA4 or anti-PD1 could respond with combination. Response rate is 58%. This was pub published in New England Journal in July 2015. Great, but tough part is side effects, 55%. This is not grade one, grade two. I'm talking about more than grade three. So clearly, toxicity goes up um, because with ipilimumab, it's only around 20%. With anti-PD-1 antibody, we're talking about like a five to 7%, but with combination, actually toxicity goes up to close to 60%. So lots of teaching is uh, necessary. PD-1 antibody is also available. Response rate is around 30%. So the question is what to combine. As a medical oncologist, surgeon is always a friend, right? So I have done splenectomy in other cases, and in, you know, successfully there's a um, paper from John Wayne Melanoma Center. Uh, I think around 300 people, they did differentiate metastatectomy plus immunotherapy versus metastatectomy only, and also immunotherapy only. And then metastatectomy plus immunotherapy did show significant benefit. Even those are not um, you know, eradic total eradication. They just remove some of them with ipilimumab or uh, anti-PD-1 antibody could actually enhance antigen presentation. That's a speculation. Of course, this is retrospective. We don't know prospectively, but it has. So surgery could be incorporated even stage four settings. And this is another spleen. Um, his case, he did have disease, but this was done uh, almost one and a half year ago. He is 86, and he's still driving. Um, he did have brain meds like six years ago, and then initially uh, seen at Sloan Kettering, but came to South Carolina, where his daughter lived, and then met me. Traditional chemotherapy does have some evidence, you know, doxorubicin and others could increase anti-PD-1 expression. So the hope is, can be, uh, can, can it increase antigen presentation? We will have clinical trials in lung cancer 
um, cisplatin plus pemetrexid plus minus anti-PD-1 antibody. Idea is chemotherapy might augment antigen presentation. And it will be here in a couple months, hopefully. Uh, radiation, radiation oncology is always friend, right? And then, so this was a paper in March 2012. What interesting thing is, if you have multiple mats, and they, when they radiate only one area, in conjunction with uh, these immune checkpoint inhibitor, they have seen dramatic shrinkage where not radiated also. And this is, so this paper came out when we had faced this patient. So we radiated his lung lesion, and after that, this subcranial lymph node disappeared. And actually, this is a patient with splenectomy. So he's doing really well. And EPN gamma knife, this is also um, case series we published, but even patients with brain metastasis, if we could combine with um, SRS, melanoma felt to be radio resistant, so we want to give higher doses, but combining with um, SRS with ipilimumab, we, are, we see like three years survival is 40%. I checked it, this was analyzed in August 2014. I just checked with my you know, colleague last week and all four of them with brain mets are still alive. So EPN hepatitis C, um, this is just a, uh, one example, but I had a patient who had a chronic, never been treated chronic hepatitis C with metastatic melanoma. We gave four doses of ipilimumab, his melanoma became CR, and then his viral load also shrunk. We don't know why, but we could see this nonspecific immune reaction too. This is a patient in three days, tumor melt. We don't know because median time to pro, you know, response is three months, but sometimes we could see like a three days response. We have seen this weird reaction too. We don't know why, why it's symmetrical. And she's fine now. And this is a case we had recently in our institution. This is a gentleman with um, chronic diabetes uh, on dialysis, came with this LDH of 1300. You see bulky um, lymphadenopathy. And after discussion, I talked to BMS, I talked to Merck. They don't know anything about this antibody with dialysis patient. Um, although knowing molecular size, they don't think it will be dialyzed. But we, you know, after a long discussion, including risk, because small percentage, like one to three percent, can have autoimmune nephritis. Although he's on dialysis, maybe doesn't matter, but we gave him, and then after only three doses, lymph node melt. You know, his LDH became normal, he started to eat, and then, you know, so these things could happen. So how to sequence, what to combine, clinical trial is really important. So that's where my passion is. Although I want to present this case. She's a lady 88 with metastatic melanoma. Um, we did have option of, her case 88, so she didn't have BRAF mutation, but clearly ipilimumab was available, but she, you know, I had a great life. I don't want to get any treatment. I support it. So um, she had two years from diagnosis, even without treating it. So that is also true. And then I asked her one day, you know, what do you want to do? And then she said she asked me to come to her house. 
So we went there one time, two hours drive with my family. It's totally different. She owns space. So it's totally different when, when, I, when I see her in clinic, my clinic versus when I see her in her house. So I just want to, um, yeah. So non-curable, no chemotherapy, nothing to do. We always try to compare this, but this is wrong. You know, it doesn't mean nothing to do. There are still lots of things we could do. And also, I think in the United States, I feel, you know, people always want to fight, right? So fighting versus giving up, always we tend to compare, but this is not true. No fighting doesn't mean giving up. That's what I want to focus on. And this is at Charleston in February. And this is where I am. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm Japanese. I like comic books. I'm happy to talk about leadership in comic books. But also, this is a recent um, book. I really recommend to read this. This is a neurosurgeon, in, um, chief resident in Stanford, who was diagnosed for stage four lung cancer. Um, and this is really, you know, he think you know, he talk about what life makes worth living in the face of death. And then this is really um, moving. And this is in our infusion center. It's okay to believe in hope as long as you have good plan. B. Thank you. Thank you for questions. We have time for some questions. Okay. First. Yeah, Jane. So thanks, that was great. Great overview. Um, you know, so getting away from the science, though, more to the theoretical, you know, we used to think of melanoma as melanoma one thing. It's very clear now. Melanoma isn't just one thing or one disease, many different genetic variations, <laughs> some we don't know about. Um, it can be amelanotic, it can be acral, age different. Um, so I just wanted to get your take on it. Melanoma. It's, it's not just one thing. It's it's a it's a very uh, a very sort of disease. That's right. So clearly, still we don't know why, but patient who does an inverse mutation tend to respond better with this immunotherapy. Is it because of more mutational burden or any other reason? We don't know yet, but we try to find out who's going to respond to treatment because, again, 10% response rate means you need to treat 10 people to see response. So we want to be more smarter to find it, but it's been 10 years, but we haven't come up with concrete idea. Some people suggest might be related uh, myroid drive suppressor cells number might you know important to pre predict response but not there yet. That's right. You know some of our patients have gotten these itises mm -hmm. inflammatory responses and um, one of the questions that I have I'm sure patients wonder if we give them steroids, does that decrease the effectiveness of those drugs? And how, how does that? So it's, you know, although we don't have large data, but what we know is once we use medication and then develop these inflammation, by giving steroid does not negate anti-melanoma efficacy. That's what we have seen. And that's what it's been reported. So using steroid after side effect development do not decrease uh, melanoma, anti-melanoma efficacy. So we will use it. 
The only thing is we want to get the cortisol or ACTH or you know, rule out CDF, rule out bacterial infection before doing this. Uh, we, we don't have to wait result to come back, but oh, because the study suggests if you give steroid within five days of development of grade three diarrhea, you can shorten a couple weeks of steroid tapering. But if you wait until you know, more than five days of diarrhea development, it will require more prolonged steroid treatment. Um, is there experience yet with prolonged treatment with these immunotherapies, um, great responses, and then taking people off of therapy, does the disease come back or does it? So we don't know yet, and then that's a good question. Um, especially uh, ipilimumab is okay because <laughs> FDA approval is only four doses, so there is no prolonged treatment. But when it comes to anti-PD-1, current package insert says continue until side effect develops or until disease progress. So potentially you could be on long time. I have patient who's been on drug for two years. And then after discussion, we decided to stop it, and he has only one scan after that, so I can't tell, but that scan was okay. And again, you know, 150K for one year, how long to continue? And I have patient who had like almost CR, no disease, but at the end of the later phase of treatment, he started to develop like joint pain and then um, joint swelling. So. I don't know. We might need, that's something we need to know. Lots of trials does now give two years period and then stop it. But um, clearly we don't know. Do they need every three month maintenance treatment? Or is it something we could re-challenge like we can do with ipilimumab? You know, treat three doses, good response, stop it. If it recur, re-challenge again. We don't know, but, but that's a good speculation. And, and doing that for some people who don't want to see me anymore, or, I mean, just kidding, but uh, who get tired of uh, stuck every two weeks and then scan shows no disease. And for, for patients with uh, just locally advanced or limited metastatic disease, when they recur, is the pattern of recurrence typically also in the original sites of known disease, or do they typically recur more distantly or is it just I, I wouldn't, it's unpredictable, so that's a tough part with melanoma. Even patients don't have symptoms at all, it could be in bone or it could be in brain, and then that's a tough part I need to fight with the insurance company because if it's like a deep ulcerated melanoma, even patients don't have symptoms. And the immunotherapy is one of few, we know the lower volume tend to do better. So yeah, there's, I don't see any pattern. Martha, did you have a question? That was my question. Oh, that was your question. So as a general internist facing my recertification exam in the next year or two, um, these drugs are amazing and fantastic, both in the treatment of malignant and non-malignant autoimmune diseases. But the absolute lack of any intelligent naming convention for any of them, which requires you essentially memorize what each one of them does, is incredibly frustrating and seems so anti sort of our organization of medicine, especially as the number of targets increase. Is there any hope that the, that somebody's going to rename these things in some intelligent way so that we don't have to just memorize all this crap? I, I know. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I cannot, you know, I cannot pronounce recently approved third generation Asia from Hebrew yet. 
Thanks so much. Um, can you talk about pseudo projection? Sometimes we get that question whether someone is um, uh, tumor looks like it's growing, but maybe just with immunotherapies, whether there's some yeah, so we had a discussion recently with my friend in MGH, but basically when we see shoot progression, clinically they look good. So even it's bigger and then little painful, they look good. If it's real progression, bigger and then they don't look good. <laughs> it's not scientific, but that's... <laughs> Now, I was wondering if I speak a little bit to the idea of targeted therapies like the VERA um, mutation or EGF4 and targeting those, allowing other pathways to operate mm -hmm. and that be the mechanism of recurrence. You know, is there a case where for multiple therapies simultaneously up front, sort of the same way we would approach HIV, for instance, mm -hmm. not upregulate another malignant clone? Yeah, so that's a question, and we have tons of trial combining with Pembro with this you know, targeted inhibitor or, you know, this immune checkpoint inhibitor with chemo or immune checkpoint inhibitor with immune checkpoint inhibitor. And we do have, like, phase one to dose escalate, and we, we don't know. There is a lots of speculation, like a timing-wise. Should we give bimrafenib, like, two to three months up front and then chime in with immune checkpoint inhibitor, or should we start together? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, that's where we're trying to find out. Just before I thank Kaisuki for today's conference, I just wanted to let you know that the flags at Dartmouth are hanging at half-mast today in honor of the passing of Arnie Katz, who I always used to look out here in our audience to see him. And just so that you know, read his obituary. It was in the Valley News within the last couple of days. Arnie was a giant, really old school, triple threat, wonderful academic clinician. And I so enjoyed the fact that he joined our faculty and was a part of our conferences, his contributions at M&M, his questions at Medical Grand Rounds were always a, a legacy and will be a legacy. And now I just want to thank you, Kaisuki, for showing us an incredible passion and dedication to the care of patients with melanoma. Thank you for giving this talk today. Thank you.